It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. With you for the next 60 minutes in multiple ways, you can interact with us here on the program. Option number one, the phone number, 973-667-1960. Option number two, you can interact with the two of us on Twitter. You can use hashtag GiantsChat directly with us at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll get into a variety of topics over these next 60 minutes. We got, obviously, the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. A number of former Giants players and coaches invested in this game. We'll get into that. Our thoughts on the Senior Bowl, as well as a crazy quarterback carousel that has already started up with Matt Stafford on the move and Jared Goff in that same trade going to the Lions. So a lot to tackle over these next few minutes. Paul, how's everything on your end? Good morning, Lance. Uh, Things are well. Fortunately, no power failure in my neck of the woods. I know that there was a lot of uh, trepidation on TV and radio that this nasty storm that hit the northeast would wind up uh, killing a lot of power uh, situations around the area. Did not happen with me. Hope not for you as well. Uh, I will tell you, as I put up on Twitter last night, it was very frustrating, and I did not need to see the media, you know, down in Florida preparing for the Super Bowl. And what do they got down there? 70-degree weather and sunny while we were getting hammered with a blizzard. Uh, Did not need to see that. And then, of course, I watched the Knicks lose to the Bulls, as you, of course, had to respond on Twitter. (laughs) Final 45 seconds of that game. Well, the final 45 seconds of that game made me sick. It was tied at 100 apiece. They were up by double digits, the Bulls, for the majority of that contest, if you were watching closely. Yeah, so but the Knicks, the Knicks are the better team. Even made it a game. No, but the Knicks are the better team. And the fact that the G- Knicks had to go out to Chicago and they were fatigued, that was part of the reason whoa, why they Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, How Paul. are the Knicks Paul, the better fatigued. team, though? That's not fair. They lost. They shot 6-29 from three. They that's could, why they and lost that, And the that's game. what happens when you're fatigued. Three-point shots don't, don't hit. That's what happens. The first sign of fatigue is that your three-pointers don't go in. First sign so of fatigue. So then how did they mount the comeback then? Were they because, they're, because they're the better team. How are they the better team if they lost? Oh, God. I'm not getting into this. One. Well, we can no, do it again on Wednesday night. open the door We do it again on this. Wednesday night. That's Come right. On. There's a rematch on Wednesday. That's true. That's right. Well, they'll lose again, and then uh, you will be able to boast that they have The ghost of Jordan, forget about it. Well, I'll, go, first of I'll all, go out there with garlic if I have to get rid of that. <laughs> so you, you know what? You could say prayers at night. It's not going to help you. Oh, and the please. last time I checked, the Bulls have a better record, by the way. Okay, the Knicks have more losses at this point. Oh, but God. who's counting? Yes. Only because they played more games. Well, Go ahead. Yeah. Well, that means the Bulls have capitalized on their fewer games. So that's the big difference. But I'm yes. glad you enjoyed the game. It sounds like you're. It was uh, very frustrating very to watch the a... end of that game. At least the Rangers won. Okay. Well, if there's a silver lining to that, yes. that's fine. Go ahead. See? No, I'm just I'm having fun, totally having fun with you, Lance, because let's face night. it, it's, it's kind of a dead period right now to talk Giants football, so I'm having fun with you. About and the only I'm thing that I'm not aggravated about, the only thing I'm, I'm not aggravated about right now is that the Yankees uh, did everything they needed to do, and I'm very happy with them. So. And it looks like the baseball season, by the way, is going to start on time, according to the latest report, so I think that's a positive. There was some speculation that maybe they'd put spring training back a little bit, but uh, it looks like baseball will kick off. 
at the appropriate time. So we can count the Yankees for their 100 wins and see them in the postseason. All good. There you go. Well, and the good news is they're not expanding the postseason, which they did as a result of COVID, which I'm very happy. I love baseball. The fact that few teams make the playoffs makes things a little bit more meaningful, unlike other sports. Okay. So that, I think, is a positive development as well. Now, speaking of the postseason, Super Bowl 55 on the horizon, coming your way Sunday in Tampa, as you mentioned. And by the way, quick side note, it's actually a positive that there wasn't the regular normal radio row because you can only imagine the amount of people that would have had to take flights out of the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area, that probably would have been screwed, Paul. So it actually mm-hmm. turned out to be better that there isn't a typical radio row this season. Yeah, I would agree with that. The virtual uh, you know, video conferences they've been doing the last couple of days have certainly been much more organized, too. Look, I don't know how many Super Bowl Tuesday media days you've been to, Lance. I've been to half a dozen of them. And they are insane. They've gotten worse and worse and worse over the years. It's basically, think of, think of a giant beehive, okay, that's just filled with honey, and the bees are crawling all over each other to get every little drop. That's what it's like at Super Bowl Media Day. It has become so out of control. It is so difficult for the football guy to try to do his job because it's been so overwhelmed with everybody from TMZ and entertainment television and this and that trying to do what they need to do. It's become a living nightmare, to be honest with you. And, And I wish, you know, again, another thing that should go back about 25, 30 years ago when it was better, but it is what it is. Having said that, in some regard, I have to tell you, I've enjoyed listening to these video conferences because it's pure beef. There's real football in there. And you don't get somebody asking Tom Brady if they want to run away with him and, and, and get married and all this other crap, which, you know, your TMZ goofballs want to do. No, it's football. And, and I have to tell you, it's, it's actually it, the questions in these virtual Super Bowl press conferences have been more to the point more football-oriented, more X's and O's than even the press conferences that we've had to endure during the entire giant season because you got too many people who are interested in clickbait, they're interested in themes, they're interested in all these other garbage stories that they need to do. This was football, and I tell you, it was, it was kind of fun for a change to actually sink your teeth into some football beef, and I, I appreciate that. Well, I think part of that is a result of the setup because obviously as you've been watching and maybe listeners who haven't paid attention to some of these virtual press conferences, I think the PR staffs are doing a really good job structuring them, Paul, so that doesn't allow the non-beef that you're talking about to insert themselves into the conversation because, you know, when you put a player at the podium during a typical Super Bowl week, anybody could jump in and stick a microphone in, Mm -hmm. and that's how the TMZ, the Entertainment Tonight's, they get in with those non-football-related questions. All these programs, yep. But when you have a virtual press conference and the PR individual is calling out all of the media members, it makes it that much more difficult because the PR person at the end of the day could just skip over them. They don't, they're not obligated to have them ask the question. So I think that actually has proved to be a positive to your point. And I always say this time around, I feel it's overkill anyway, because whenever you have two weeks leading up to a game, there's only so much new stuff that you can bring to the forefront and ask a coach or a player that they haven't been asked already. So I, in an ideal world, and I know I've been campaigning this for a while, I get it, the logistics don't allow it. I would love the Super Bowl to just come right after the conference championship games. 
I mean, that would be how I would structure it. And it used to be that way. They would alternate. Then they just completely eliminated that. And now they have it two weeks removed from the conference championship games. And I get it. They need people to have time for travel and family members of the players. I understand that. But from an X's and O's standpoint, from just a coverage standpoint, I'd be totally content if the Super Bowl was this past Sunday. Well, you know what, Lance? I go back to 1990 in Super Bowl 25 when the Giants beat the Bills and, and Desert Storm was going on. And so they did not do the two-week deal. That, that, I think, was the first time that they had only gone with the one week. You know, it was the championship game was played Sunday. I hopped a plane first thing on Monday morning down to Tampa and, you know, got down there and I advanced everything for the station uh, in those days. You know, WNEW was the Giants flagship and I was responsible for making sure that I attended all the press briefings on Monday and then I attended the uh, stadium media day in what was known as the Sombrero. That was the old Tampa Bay Buccaneers Stadium on Tuesday. And here's the funniest part about this. Jeff Hostetler was the Giants' starting quarterback. And to give you an idea of how things have changed over the years, Hostetler was paraded up by the NFL PR people into the stands at the Sombrero. Uh, we, we were down in, the, in, the, in the, the seats, you know, down toward the field level. And what happened was they brought Hostetler up about 20 rows from field level into a section of seats that was probably on about the 20-yard line or so at the Sombrero. I was standing there, and I was actually right on Hostetler's left shoulder as he as he stood there in the bleachers, and there was probably a crowd of about, oh, I want to say 35 to 40 people. Who so you were, all huddled around him in correct. the section of seats you're talking correct. about? Correct. Okay. He was standing. He was, he was not sitting. Remember, the Sombrero, uh, you know, was, was one of those bowl-type stadiums. It wasn't, you know, a, a multi-deck with all the regular seats with the armrests and everything. The Sombrero was a, was a bowl-type of stadium. And Haas, you know, he couldn't sit down because then nobody could see him. You know, he'd be enveloped by the humanity. So he stood... Um, in in between one of the, one of the rows, and then everybody who wanted to talk to him literally had to form a circle around him, and the circle probably went four or five people deep. Now, of course, you know me being me, I made sure that I got in that first rung, and I was right on his left shoulder. In fact, I actually have a, a, a photographer, a newspaper photographer, took a picture of 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 the mass and i i actually it's one of one of my kind of cool possessions that i've got for my career is me right there on Haas's left shoulder as as he's being addressed by this massive crowd of media well i say massive crowd because in those days that was a massive crowd jockeying for position making sure you got your microphone in there and getting your question off that was supposed to be a challenge in those days and it was today are you kidding me that's not even a crumb in a loaf of pound cake well, of course. compared to the insanity that they do today. You could never have the starting quarterback for a Super Bowl hold a press briefing standing between the rows of a stadium aisle while being surrounded with 35 to 40 media people. It's just, it, it's just physically impossible to do. There might have been 50 by the time the TV cameras got around and so forth and so on. And there were, of course, waves of people at the time. That's what it was back in 90. That's what, 30 years ago. Compared to now, holy moly. Let me tell you something, Lance. The last Super Bowl that I went to, 
I had to cover. I did the Denver-Seattle Super Bowl when they were here at MetLife Stadium. And the media day was at the Newark uh, Prudential Center where the Devils play hockey. And, and they Stephen had all play some basketball games as well. Right, yep. right. And what we did there, they had set up guys in these, these little, like, carnival booths, you know, on the floor, the big guys. Each had their own carnival booth on the floor. Of, of the arena. And that's how they do it even presently, under normal circumstances. Correct. Yeah. That's been the most recent uh, configuration of how to handle these things. Well, here, here's why it becomes insane, okay? Because the way it's set up now is the guy's in his carnival booth. He has one microphone. There's a moat box that has six plugs in it. If you don't get one of those six plugs, you don't have uh, electronically sound audio because you can't plug into it. So what you are forced to do is be in that, that mass of humanity that encircles the carnival booth, and you could be four, five, six, seven, eight people deep. You have to hold your microphone and try to stretch your arm as far as you can so that at least you have a shot if you raise the level of your audio recording as much as possible on manual so that if for some way, shape, or form you can get your mic within, I don't know, six feet of, 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 of the guy who's talking at the podium, you might be able to pick it up and then do a little bit of uh, electronic adjusting to enhance it, and maybe you can use that audio. In the meantime, NFL Network is going to send one of their people with their camera and their mic over to that carnival booth and they're going to wind up interrupting the interview anyway because they're going to do their one-on-one for a couple of minutes. And, you know, it's like if you're trying to do your job, it's really, really hard. Really, really hard. Not to mention everybody's screaming bloody murder at the same time and the guy's only going to answer the question that he thinks he can make out. Compare that to what I just told you about 30 years ago. Is it any wonder that a real football person would not necessarily enjoy the fiasco that Media Day has become? Well, that's why I said this earlier. I don't really find this that entertaining, the additional week leading up to the Super Bowl. So I, speaking from just personal experience, if they sacrificed it, I think we'd be fine. I'd still think we'd be okay craving for the game and being able to cover it. I think the biggest difference between 1990, when you were telling that story, versus the present day is, remember, we have had the implementation of the internet in between there, Paul. So think sure. about how many additional people can cover a team as a result of the presence of the internet. When you were back there in 1990, you're talking about the few radio stations, newspapers, and you know some of the local TV outlets. And you were also, I'm assuming, involved with some of the national outlets too, who were out there covering the game. They were now, there. with throwing in the internet, I mean, everything just exponentially has multiplied by four or five for each team. And now you bring all of those people who cover the team on top of the national outlets that have also grown because of the presence of the Internet. I'm not surprised. It's no surprise that we are where we're at at this point. Now, before we open up the phone lines here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is presented by New York Lottery, the new X-Series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery, multiply your winnings up to 100 times, please play responsibly. I do find this interesting as a matchup this year because there's a lot of Giants connections 
on both yeah. sides. Tampa sure. Bay as well as Kansas City. Tampa Bay, of course, has JPP. Kansas City has Steve Spagnuolo as the defensive coordinator. Then you also have Sam Madison, the former Giants player who serves under him. Dave Merritt is another former Giants assistant that serves under Spag. So there's Giants connections across the board and probably the most lighthearted moment that occurred yesterday was when JPP was speaking to the media and a familiar name, O.C. Humanura, jumped on the virtual press conference because O.C. is doing work, I believe, for NFL London, if I'm correct. I think he covers yes. the game across the pond. Yeah. Well, he lives so he over jumped there. On, he jumped on the call, and JPP hears the name because the PR person always announces who's on there, and they went back and forth. They shared a, a nice moment from being former teammates, reminiscing, but then O.C. admitted – Hey, JPP, I didn't even have a question. I just wanted to say what's up before the game. So it was kind of funny how they caught that moment. Yeah, no doubt. And, and for us in New York, that was entertaining. I'm sure for the people around the country who were trying to ask some questions, that was probably entertainment that they did not need. And they would look at that as frivolous like I would look at TMZ. Now, I will say today, Spags got a call from OC during the media press conference, but he did ask a legitimate question. He said to, to Spags, Look, in 2007, you had O.C., you had Tuck, you had Strahan to get after Brady to move him off his spot. You know, you don't have, you don't have O.C. and Tuck and Strahan, you know, now to, now to get after him. So, you know, how do you defend him now? And th- there's a very legit question. And basically what Spag said is that you have to mix things up. Because, yes, you do want to get him off your spot. You do want to make him uncomfortable. There's no question about that. But he said Brady is too smart to just see what you're going to do if you're going to try to continue to repeat yourself and just do it better. You have to try to continuously mix it up to keep him off balance and hope that you can somehow get him out of rhythm. And, look, that's really – let's not kid ourselves. We all know – that's the key to beating Tom Brady, no matter what uniform he's wearing, no matter what team he's playing for. Well, and that's why I think the positive for the Chiefs, and we'll get more into this as the week progresses on the Super Bowl front, but at least here in the initial stages, one, they played him in Week 12 in Tampa, so there's familiarity there. That's this year's Chiefs team in conjunction with Spags. They played him in the regular season as a Patriot last season. Then they played him in 2018, of course, in the conference championship game. So it's not as if I get it. A lot of people are pointing to what Spags did with the Giants in 07. But the point is, Paul, a lot has transpired since then, and there's a lot more closer film that Spags has to work with, as well as the personnel that he's with now, that they don't have to necessarily worry about what the archive shows. You know how you fared against Tom Brady in recent history, and you can make tweaks and substitutions mm-hmm. off of that. No, no, there's, there's no question. It is ironic, though, that, again, this is a Super Bowl rematch, much like it was in 2007 when the Giants played the Patriots in the regular season. We all know the finale. Patriots win the game. Giants get them in the Super Bowl. Uh, Same situation here. Tampa Bay and Kansas City had played each other at the end of November, and now they're playing each other again in the Super Bowl. Uh, You know, that does not happen a whole lot, where you'll get a regular season game, which becomes the Super Bowl rematch. We've also had a lot of regular season rematches in the earlier rounds of the postseason, too. I feel like there's been a high volume of that, which, to your point, you never really get very often. So a lot of teams have been able to go back a few weeks prior in the regular season and see how they fared. That game, by the way, between Tampa Bay and Kansas City, the Chiefs jumped out to a 17 nothing lead in that mm-hmm. game. Tampa Bay 
got a few late touchdowns. The score's much closer yes. than the game truly played out, and that was because Tyreek Hill had a monster game, three touchdowns, and the Chiefs did a good job against Brady. They picked him off twice. They got some pressure on him. So once again, I don't think Spags is saying to himself, oh, my God, I don't have OC. I don't have Tuck. I don't have JPP. I think that he's feeling pretty good about the personnel he has. My biggest concern for Kansas City is simply their offensive line. They lost Eric Fisher, their left tackle. Mitchell Schwartz, their right tackle's banged up. If there's anything that if I'm Andy Reid and I'm a little bit worried about is how do we prevent the JPPs and the Shaq Barretts from ruining that game. The good news is Mahomes is mobile, right, Paul? So it's not as if he's going to be a statue. If you come after him, he can move around outside of the pocket. He also is very good against the Blitz this season. Statistically, it's actually Mm -hmm. ridiculous how good he is against the Blitz. So, you know, he can make up for the issues, but it does scare me that the Chiefs could be without their two starting tackles in the Super Bowl. You know, let's uh, kind of weave this back to the Giants again because Mike Remmers, who was the Giants' starting right tackle last year, and you'll remember he was a starting tackle for the Panthers in their in the Carolina loss in the Super Bowl some years ago. Uh, he was forced to move from the right side to the left tackle spot last week because of the injuries. And so that means he will primarily see Jason Pierre-Paul which is kind of funny because it just all seems to tie back to the Giants in one way or another, (laughs) Uh, which is why I bring it up because I think it's an interesting storyline for those of us here in New York. I think that Mike Remmers, yes, there are some limitations to his physical capabilities and his athleticism, but he's a smart guy. He gives you everything he's got. He's a blue-collar worker uh, who has been around a long time, has experience, as we said, Played in a Super Bowl before with Carolina. Was not with Kansas City last year because he was with the Giants. But he has played in a Super Bowl before. I'm willing to say that JPP will not wreck this game. Okay? I would worry if I were Kansas City, I'd be much more worried about Wiley on the other side against Shaq Barrett than I would Remmers against JPP. I think that Mike Remmers is a steady, underrated player who is going to hold his own in this game. But Barrett against Wiley could be a problem if I'm the Chiefs. Well, Wiley has been a little bit banged up himself. The good news, though, is Wiley's been a staple on the offensive line. See, I see it opposite. I'm a little bit more concerned about Remmers against JPP because, granted, he's a polished veteran, but you're moving him around as opposed to Wiley, who, once again, has been a consistent force yeah, But Remmers has played left line. tackle, Lance. Remmers has played left tackle before in his career. Well, that's what I said. He's a polished veteran, but once again, it, he hasn't been a consistent left tackle for the team, is my point meaning Remmers is now playing next to a new guy on the offensive line who he hasn't lined up all throughout the course of the season. That's That's my point. He's he's primarily been their right tackle this year. That's very fair, although he did take snaps on the left side last week. I I just feel, you know, one one of the things that the Giants were happy about when they brought him in last year was his versatility, Remmers, his experience, his versatility, his professionalism. I I just I with every ounce of blood in my body I believe he's going to hold his own. JPP will make a couple of plays, sure, because he's a terrific player and a terrific athlete. Uh, and and I and JPP's been to a Super Bowl, so it's, the lights are not going to be too bright for him either. But I don't see him wrecking. The, if I had to put money on it, uh, and you could put it on JPP, I would say that Barrett's the guy who's got a better chance to wreck the game. 
Well, they're both extremely dangerous. And by the way, just a quick side note, it is great to see JPP thriving Isn't after it? that horrific hand injury. I mean, what he's been able to do since he parted ways with the Giants, I think says an awful lot about his work ethic and just his knack for getting after the quarterback because of his pure athleticism, regardless of the limitations on his body. It, it's a heck of a story, and it's good to see him you know, getting some attention on the national platform based on what he had to go through. Yeah. A you reminder, limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. That's 888-NYG-1925. Let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, 973-667-1960. And we check in with James in Connecticut. What's happening, James? Hey. How y'all doing this morning? Doing all right, James. What's on your mind? Hey, um, I'd like to make a couple um, comments about um, the previous shows. Uh, okay, so someone has brought brought up um, when was the last time two tackles, two different defensive tackles were on the market for free agent on the same team. The last, the last two defensive tackles were. Let's see, Nick and um, from the Detroit Lions. He's playing the Super Bowl now. Uh, Sue and Dominican Sue. Yeah. And um, the team wound up keeping Nick Fury and um, Dominican Sue won a lot of money. So that should give Giants a better picture, like, what's to happen. And I like to make a comment about Paul. Um, I know a receiver underneath six um, six foot that can make contested catches. His name is E. Smith Senior. Tough guy, short and strong. Played on the boundary. He can play anywhere on the field. How you like him? And I, I was watching a. Um, Highlight yesterday on Ron, Rondell. Um, Rondell, he's he's a drive prospect, but he reminds me a lot about Steve Smith. He's five nine. He's not six foot, but he makes the contested catches and he's fast. I feel like if the first top three receivers are gone in the draft, which is um, Jamar Chase. And um, well, Devontae Smith Davis, is probably going to go high. Yeah, I I think we should look somewhere else. I know we do need a playmaker on offense, but I think we should go either to defense or the tight end position and draft a receiver in the second round. You know, um, and congrats to Jason Pierre-Paul. I always loved the guy. I wish he stayed a giant. And I got the um, Bucks in the Super Bowl, and that's it. Thank you. All right, James. All right. Appreciate the let, let me address him. Uh, number one, yeah, Steve Smith Jr., who played a long time for the Panthers, also was with the Ravens a little while. You're, you're absolutely right in terms of the way he attacked the ball. He was extremely physical. 
he also chattered a lot on the field too, a real <laughs> trash talker, but really had an attitude and was really, really nasty. He was a pit bull, so you're right. And, and he was barely 5'10", and, and he found a way to go out there and make plays. Hell of a player, no question about it. So, yes, I, 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 I understand your point. You don't have to have a skyscraper. My, my point on that whole thing is that the Giants' room is full of receivers who are 6'1 and under, and they don't have a skyscraper to complement them. Kind of like if you had a band, right? And you had a singer, and you had a guitar player, and you had a bass player, but you're missing the drummer. I'd like to get the drummer. The drummer is, is my six foot four skyscraper. That, that's the thing. I'm not looking to get another guitar player or another bass player. I'd like to get the drummer. That's where my uh, yearning is to try to get a big guy. I'm not telling you that if they get a 5'10 guy and he turns out to be absolutely sensational. Look, Odell Beckham was electric. And, and, and he did a lot of great things for the Giants, and he wasn't, you know, barely six feet. In fact, he really wasn't even six feet. So I'm not saying that the guy won't be a good player if they get a small guy. I'm just after that missing component in the band. Now, the guy you mentioned is Rondell Moore out of Purdue. Junior eligible. He's probably going to be a second-round pick for somebody. And because he's going to be that way, it's going to be because, as Lance Meadow loves to say, and he's right, he's an offensive weapon. Rondell Moore at 5'9", 175 pounds, has incredible athleticism, elusiveness, can make explosive plays, and he's going to be used like a Tyreek Hill. Okay, He's not just going to be a receiver who's going to line up in one spot. He will be used in multiple facets of your playbook, and that's the reason he's probably going to be a second-round pick. That's why I'm a believer in the style of play from the player as opposed to what they look like. But I don't disagree with your sentiments, Paul. I'm all for versatility. It makes a lot of sense if you could look at your roster and say, I've got a 5'10 guy, I've got a 6'2 guy, I've got a 6'5 guy. Hey, the more the merrier. I have no problem if that's how an executive wants to put his team together. But at the end of the day, it's more important to say, well, what can the six-five guy do from yeah. a skill set position? You, Great, you don't size, draft, you don't but does it translate? Ram, you don't want to draft Ramses Barton. Exactly. Yes, one hundred percent. Totally, which would be an example in house. Yeah. Totally, absolutely agree with you. What good is it if you draft a guy who's got a big frame and can't produce on the field? Obviously, when I say that, I'm after a guy who's got the frame but can produce. I want this guy to move the change because he outphysicals people, gets the ball. In a, in a wider radius, in a bigger box, giving Daniel Jones some room so that he can throw the ball into a larger space. And I also want that guy to be able to make the back shoulder throws and to be able to use his body to shield the defender to grab a contested catch. Those are the things that I'm looking for. I don't want a 6'5 guy to go out there and be a stiff and not be able to play and not be able to produce, obviously. I don't, I, I don't want people to misunderstand. And maybe there's a misconception out there that I simply want anybody who's 6'5. I'll grab a guy from ShopRite and put him in the game <laughs> because he's 6'5. No, that's not what I'm after. What I'm after is a specific ability to run and produce in certain situations and be able to complete certain styles of play so that you can give Daniel Jones the full band. I, I think you and I are on the same page on this, Lance. Yeah, I, I completely get your parallel when you were talking about the band. 
I would rather have versatility on my roster. What I mean by versatility is size, body structure, what they could do. Totally fine with that. But I just, once again, as I've been emphasizing on previous shows, this ideology, and I'm not saying that this is what you're preaching. I'm saying from what I've heard from others is, well, just you got a 6'5 guy on the roster. You got a 6'6 guy on the roster. Just put him out there for the sake of putting him out there so the quarterback has a big target. And I don't buy that philosophy no. because if he winds up hurting you because he doesn't know what to do on the field or there's limited athleticism within that 6'6 frame, it completely defeats the purpose of having mm -hmm. that guy on your roster. You're right. You're right, because then you can't count on him to make those plays that you're asking him to make. And then, and then what, what did you do except waste the spot? Yeah, and he becomes more of a liability Correct. he's helping you. Correct. Yeah. Yep, we agree. So that's the philosophy that I've always subscribed to throughout the course of roster building and so forth. Lance Metal, Paul Dettino with you here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. You could call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. And Giants fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card. Security features and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. So we've been tackling the Super Bowl, also getting into the Giants offseason plans. The one other thing that I wanted to mention, and you can give us a ring at 973-667-1960. You can also chime in on Twitter at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. The last caller when talking about Giant draft targets had said, and this is one of my pet peeves, well, if they don't go wide receiver with the 11th overall pick because there's some depth at that position, then they can wind up going defensive lineman or something else. We can't get caught up in positional targets when it comes to the draft. It's more about the value of the player and what the player could do. The Giants, you can argue, may need a pass rusher. But, Paul, at the end of the day, if they get to the 11th overall pick and on their board there is no one in the ballpark of value at 11 in the pass rushing department, then that's when you get in trouble when you start reaching to plug holes and you wind up picking a player that does not wind up warranting a second contract, which completely defeats the purpose of using the 11th overall pick on them. No question. Lance, I, I think this, this is something you will agree with me on 150%. At 11, you better get a guy who is not, not let's just say, if he's not an impact starter right away, he better be able to give you some rotational snaps right away, and by next year, he better be an impact starter. If he's not going to be one right away, by next year, he's got to be. I mean, at number 11? Come on. You, you, can't, you can't be taking a, a flyer on a guy just because, oh, I need that position. I mean, I'll give you a great example, right? Now, I have no idea what the Giants think about Quiddy Pay from Michigan who is one of the supposed you know, pass rushers in this draft, who a lot of people think, okay, maybe he's going to be better in a 3-4, maybe he's going to be better in a 4-3, maybe he's going to be a good pro uh, a pass rusher, maybe he's not going to be. There seems to be a lot of doubt there about exactly what he's going to wind up translating into at the NFL level. For me, and the Giants may wind up taking him, and maybe maybe it'll work out great. I have no idea. 
for me, as I sit here now, I did watch a little bit of Michigan football this year. I don't think I could have enough conviction on him to fit the Giants' scheme and to be a lock, stock, absolute answer to increasing their pass rush at number 11. To me, that is a projection. You're putting a lot of faith in a projection. I don't think you can do that at 11. I think you have to be confident, assertive, relatively relatively certain that that guy at 11 is going to do what you think he's going to do. I don't think that's a time to, to be dealing with projections. Uh, do you disagree? No, I completely agree with you. And even if you look at Giants draft history and you talk about some of the players that they took high in the first round, I mean, I go back to Dave Gettleman's comments leading up to the Saquon Barkley draft class, if you recall. So that was 2018. He always often threw out, because Barkley was the second overall pick, the Hall of Fame jacket projection, right? Right. That you want to say to yourself, can I see this guy being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Right. When it's based, all on the film, based on the film exactly. that he's put on the field. 100%. Not, not, not based on some figment of someone's imagination that they can have a daydream and a fantasy like, well, we think he's going to be three times better than he was in college. Right? Yeah, not that you think maybe year three they could break out and give you a return. No, meaning you put this guy on the field based on what he's done over the last two or three seasons in college, you think it's going to be a relatively smooth transition. And what you have to apply to him once he gets to the NFL level is polish as opposed to completely retooling everything that that player has to work on. Yes, yes. Totally agree with you, Lance. Yeah. So that's how I'll even look at the 11th overall pick. You're not that far removed in terms of the rankings of where you're taking a player compared to the rest of the league that you are starting to think about projection or flyer or a guy who down the road could really give you some great rewards in return. No, I'm not thinking that way. I'm thinking year one, put him on the field, somebody that could contribute, could perhaps even start, and then year two, once he gets 16 games under his belt, okay, you know, we're looking at a key ingredient within our core. Yep. That's what my philosophy is. Totally agree. Got to be. Got to so be. So that just, yeah, that gets back to, once again, and I'm not just calling out the last caller. I hear it a lot on social media. We've heard it a lot on previous shows. It's this philosophy of, well, if the Giants don't go to position A with the 11th overall pick, then they should go to position B or C. I just, I don't think position. I think of, hey, you know what? If the Giants feel at 11, they want to take a player at a position where you feel they have some weapons, so be it. The way free agency, the way the injury bug works, you can't guarantee me that, Paul, we can't look at it. Everybody that was on the field against the Dallas Cowboys in Week 17, that the Giants and everybody that was under contract, let me preface, that they're just going to simply bring back They're going to plug them back in, and you know for a fact they're playing all 16 games, and also you know for a fact that all of them are going to pick up exactly where they left off, meaning is Leonard Williams going to get double-digit sacks again? And I understand he's one of the free agents, but that's my point. You can't operate like that. So if at 11 you feel as if there is somebody at a position where you feel like you've got a good read, maybe safety, for example. Okay, I think we could all agree. They've got some weapons at safety. I wouldn't look at that as a major need. But, hey, if you feel at 11 there's a guy that could play corner, 
He's played safety in college. He's got some versatility, and you think value-wise he's a good fit? I have no objection if that's the direction they want to go in. In short, there's much more value at where they sit in looking at a player's production than there is his projection. I think that's a great way to sum things up. And that should be the philosophy, not just in 2021. That should be the philosophy in years moving forward. I think you always need to think like that. Now, in an ideal world, Paul, okay, as we're talking about big picture philosophy here, any executive will tell you, you would love for need and value to match up where you're picking in the first round. I think any executive will tell you, sign me up for that, right? But you just can't go into a draft thinking, that both of those factors are going to entangle when you get ready to pick. It's possible that somebody was just selected off your board who met both of those criteria. And that means that, okay, you don't have a trade option, then what do you do? You don't panic, you stick to your board, and you take then the next available player. And if the next available player is in a position of strength, then it's better to bulk up on a position of strength then say, oh, well, you know, we need somebody to get us a few sacks, and we think this guy, but think being the operating phrase, we think year one he can translate even though, as you were talking about with the player out of Michigan earlier, okay, when you were talking about the quitty pay player who could come in, maybe he's a good fit, maybe he's not, and he's played in a 3-4-4-3, you know, that's where I think he starts to get into trouble. Well, this is another reason, and I always talk about this every year, one of the pieces of the puzzle that you must consider is is the possible trade down. And if you do, how many spots would you go? Well, I honestly do believe that that's a legitimate option for the Giants as they sit here at 11 right now. Because, you know, that top 10, we, we don't know how many quarterbacks are going to be gone. Now, if there is a team desperate, and I mean desperate, to get, let's say, quarterback number four. Because I think we can all pretty much agree that Lawrence, Fields, and Wilson are going to be gone in the top ten. Everybody that I've talked to pretty much believes that for sure, that they're gone in the top ten. The question becomes now, where does the fourth quarterback go? Is Trey Lance that guy? Uh, I don't know. Has has, uh, the Alabama kid... Suddenly, Mac Jones, has he, over the course of the NCAA playoffs and the Senior Bowl, done enough to jump Trey Lance on some people's boards? And has he done enough to jump to where he might be there at 11 and there's a quarterback needy team that desperately wants him? I mean, look, it it doesn't take a scientist to connect Saban to Belichick. And, and to think that the Patriots are certainly going to be in the market for, for a quarterback, at least it looks like that. It doesn't look like they have much faith in, in giving the job to Stidham. And I like Stidham coming out. I'm not going to run from that. I like them a lot. But it looks like they're probably going to be in the market for one. If Belichick feels that strong, would he want to move up a handful of spots to grab Mac Jones because his buddy Saban had him at Alabama? And if so, would he be willing to pay for it? I, you know, I'd listen to that phone call, wouldn't you? I think you got to entertain it. you got to do your due diligence. New England's style is not normally to move up, but I wouldn't rule it out. And I also could see this being a year where I think they go back into free agency. 
I think they sign a veteran quarterback and then at the same time thinking about drafting a guy for the future. I could see that happening sign for a New England because they'll have more flexibility with cap space this year compared to last year. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Sure. And there are a lot. But so it comes down to, and, and we heard Adam Schefter from ESPN. I don't know if you caught it the other day, uh, Lance. He flat out said he's putting the over-under at 18 I heard, yeah. starting quarterbacks changing spots coming up into this season. 18 changing spots. Some of those will just be carousel guys, but there's going to be others that will be newcomers. And again, it, it comes down to how many of these teams are going to insist that they draft a first-round quarterback, and if the top three are gone, how highly do you rate Jones and Lance? That, to me, is the whole the whole crux to whether or not the Giants will be in a position to trade down a few spots is there somebody behind them who was going to say, I got to have Lance or I got to have Jones, and boy, uh, I'm going to have to get to that 11 spot to get him. If that's the case, then Dave Gettleman's got to answer the phone, Patriots or otherwise, and see what he can milk out of somebody, don't you think? Sure. I don't think that that's a bad philosophy at all, especially if the Giants on their board they feel like there's a few players that they're interested in. Remember, the caveat is, if there's a guy they love, Paul, well, then, you then grab I don't him. care how big the offer is, right. how much a team is trying to wow you, you take the player, and you don't ask any questions. Absolutely. But if you're on the fence, then yes, I'm totally fine with entertaining perhaps a team that wants to move up. It's interesting that you brought up the Adam Schefter point because I actually, on my serious show this weekend, I was doing an exercise where I went through all 32 NFL teams. I estimated, I said, you can make an argument 15 teams 15. could have a new quarterback. That was my estimate. You're taking the under. So I'm taking the under. <laughs> Correct. Yes. If you want to look at it through that. Well, list. And by yeah. the way, by the way, there I'm are already the two. So you have to add the Lions and Rams to that list because they already changed quarterbacks. That's true. Well, that was in my 15. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So I, I already had included because this was after the trade was made. Okay. So, yeah, I'm accounting that the Lions and the Rams are two of those 15 teams. How, so how many did you— a bit high to me. How, how many of those teams that you forecasted for a new quarterback did you have them drafting one in the first round? I probably would say I had maybe three or four in okay. terms of the draft. And here's the other thing I should mention. I put the Texans in there— but reluctantly, because personally, if I'm used and I'm not getting rid of Deshaun Watson under any circumstances, but based on speculation, they were in my count of 15. So yeah. there are some teams where I don't think they need to move on from their quarterback, but I'm not going to be naive that there's a chance they do change. So they were included in the 15. Just I mm -hmm. think that's important for contextual standpoint. Yeah, and I think we all pretty much believe that Watson is going to be out of there. Whether or not we would do it, uh, it looks like that, that he is going to get himself shipped out. I just feel like there's still room for that relationship to be salvaged because there's a new head coach and a new GM. And for Watson to be taking that out on individuals who haven't really had much of an opportunity to build a relationship and explain to him the vision they have for the team, I just think, once again, this is my personal opinion, I think it's a bit ridiculous to put that all on ownership when you know now new individuals are in-house. Like, I would be saying to myself, hey, let me see what these guys have in store for this team before I'd be constantly saying I want out of here under all circumstances. Mm -hmm. The other thing, not to get completely off topic, Paul, but I do think it's interesting throwing out here, is the fact that 
players are entitled to their opinions, and I have no problem with a player wanting to express who they feel they'd like the head coach to be, who they feel the GM should be. But I don't think a player should ever have the expectation that they have enough say or influence that when ownership or the front office doesn't follow who they recommend, that they should be offended by that. So that's another reason why I understand Watson may be irritated and how the process played out, but I don't think any player, even the quarterback included, should ever feel that they should be empowered with the influence of being able to tell the front office who to hire for positions that a player should not, to me, be overly concerned about. Understood. I so, just did a quick. I just yeah. did a quick look uh, while we were t- you were just chatting there of the teams behind the Giants who probably would be in the market for a quarterback and and might want to consider going up if they love quarterback number four or five on their board enough to grab the eleventh pick. I would think New England at fifteen, right? I would think Washington, Washington at nineteen. I'm now, with you. Would they trade with the Giants? I doubt it, but would they maybe want to? Maybe. Uh, Chicago at 20, possibly? Bears are in the conversation. Right? Yeah. Indianapolis needs one. 100%. That's four. At 21, right? Yep. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's going to need some youth at 24. I don't know. How has how how Ben looking these days? You always have to plan. I mean, listen, Ben could get hurt, and you need somebody else to step in, and I'm sure the Steelers would be the first one to tell you they're not too confident in terms of the guys behind Big Ben. So that's a team that I don't think the starter is going to change, but I agree with you the need for a reliable backup is right there. Yeah, and after that, I really don't necessarily see anybody else, whether you know Jacksonville has a second pick there, but they're getting their guy up higher at number one. Cleveland doesn't need one. Baltimore doesn't need one. New no. Orleans, we, we pretty much think that they know what they're going to do with Winston. Uh, and then Green Bay, Buffalo, Tampa, Kansas City. So I, I guess we're looking at four, maybe five teams behind the Giants in the second half of the first round who maybe will have the inkling that they need to go up and get the fourth or fifth quarterback in this draft. Is that fair? That's very fair. And by the way, you threw out Indianapolis. Well, the Colts, that's one team we can guarantee you they're going to have a new starting quarterback in 2021, okay? Yeah. Because Phillip Rivers is retiring, so we don't even have to speculate. In these one of those teams, that is definitely going to have a change at quarterback. Because even if... Even if they decide to re-sign Jacoby Brissett, because Brissett, remember, is the backup. He yes. was the starter. He's a free agent. So even if they decide to bring him back and he does start, that's still a new quarterback based on who started for you in 2020. Mm-hmm. So I would count him as a legitimate change. So there are a few teams, like we know for a fact, they're going to have a new quarterback. It's the speculative ones that I think make things interesting. The New York Giants at Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Any reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. The new X-Series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times, please play responsibly 973-667-1960 that is the telephone number as we move along here on tuesday's edition let's check in with don in texas what's happening don hey lance ap dot how you guys doing hi you're right what's on your mind all right all right so i got a couple questions and a couple comments first i'm going to start with free agency guys and i and i think you guys are going to probably agree with me on this but I don't think we could ignore getting like a, a Galladay or Mike Williams in free agency. Those are the guys that I think the Giants should be really targeting. I know Allen Robinson, everybody wants him. That guy's going to cost an arm and a leg. We can't underestimate the effect that Plexico Burris had to Eli 
and we have to approach this the same way for Daniel Jones. When without without Plexico, Eli was a, an above average quarterback. When Plexico got there, his level of play stepped up big time. What do you guys think about those two guys before I get to the draft? What's the well, price? Galladay's been with the Lions over the last few seasons. He's dealt with a lot of injuries over this past season, so I'd want to make sure that I have a good read health-wise on what he could do. And who was the other guy you mentioned? Mike Williams, I, you said? I think Williams from the Chargers is also a free agent. Yeah, I mean, Williams is a big guy, a vertical threat, but he's another guy that also has had to deal with some injuries. So the two guys, coincidentally, that you brought up, Don, I would have a little bit hesitation because they haven't proven to me that durability-wise you can rely on them for X amount of games. So that's the big thing. Do you want to invest in a player that has some of those question marks tied to them? Do you think that makes their price tag negotiable? Because of those injury factors. I think for Mike Williams it does. I don't think it makes it for Kenny Galladay. I think Galladay is a much more premier wide receiver who's got a little bit more of a proven track record during the course of his career. So I, I could guarantee you his agents are not looking at it through the lens of, well, my client was banged up in 2020, so therefore we're going to take a discount. Mike Williams, I don't think you have to shatter the salary cap to acquire a guy like that. Yeah, I'm again, with Lance on that. and But again, this comes down to you've got to try to sign Tomlinson and uh, Williams, you know, in-house before you start throwing any money out, you know, outside the box and get somebody from another team. I don't know how much money the Giants will have to acquire a veteran on the market. Uh, I think they would have enough to maybe make one semi-splash. I just don't know if any of the receivers that you just mentioned consider themselves in that category. Do they, I'm sure that their their primary objective is going to be higher than semi-category. You know, they're, they're going to want to get Tier 1 money. They're probably not going to want to look at Tier 2 money. I hear you. I hear you. All right, guys, I'm going to go over to the draft really quick, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Last year before the draft, I kind of was pushing, we can't leave the first round without a tackle or a defensive edge rusher. And I'm glad they got Andrew Thomas last year. This year, I'm saying they, don't, they cannot leave the first round without a wide receiver or a linebacker. That's just my opinion on that, which is why I'm leaning at Mika Parsons at 11 from Penn State. This guy is Devin White-like. He's not Devin White, but if you ever – I know he took the year off, but if you ever watch this guy play, he fits the mold of what that Patrick Graham defense is trying to do. I want your take on that. And base, my question to you guys – which, def- which defensive position holds the most value for the Giants' needs in the draft? Would you say it's linebacker, corner, or defensive edge? Thanks, guys. All right, Don. Well, Paul, before we continue to branch out on some of the things he threw out, Don, I'll make it very simple for you, okay? You bring up linebacker, Giants at first round into the conversation. Okay. <laughs> Paul, you know where I'm going, Paul, okay? Oh, yeah. I haven't said it in quite some time, okay? You Don, haven't! The, the last time... The Giants drafted a linebacker in the first round, 1984 people, okay? Our very own Carl Banks, okay? That's the last time it's happened. I'll continue to throw it out until that trend changes and until we have back-to-back division winners in the NFC East, okay? Those are my two favorite statistics. So for you getting your hopes up that the Giants are taking a linebacker in the first round, Paul, I'm sorry. The archives do not look too promising. <laughs> I understand. Look, P- Parsons, I, look, I, I, I don't 
I don't look at Parsons. When you say that the Giants needs, I think we all agree, the Giants needs at linebacker more than anything is an edge-rushing, pass-rushing specialist kind of linebacker. I don't necessarily see Parsons as excelling as much in that role as he's going to be a much more dangerous linebacker between the tackles, I would think, when he gets into the NFL. He's the kind of guy who's very aggressive at stuffing lanes, plugs gaps, gets after it, has horizontal uh, athleticism. I, I, you know, I think someone's going to be very happy maximizing his value in those roles as opposed to trying to say, look, come off the edge and go get me some sacks. I, I, I just don't think that's his best trait, and I think that would be kind of misusing him, don't you think? Yeah, I think that, once again, you know, we're talking about also when you draft a linebacker, just big picture scenario here. If I'm going to take a linebacker at 11, okay, I'm not tying it to one specific player, Paul, but if you're going to tell me that's the position I'm targeting, then I want to know that that linebacker, number one, it goes without saying, is a three-down linebacker, Paul. There's no way that I have concerns about taking that guy off the field. If I have concerns about taking the guy off the field, he doesn't warrant the 11th overall pick, okay? That's number one. Number two, which you just hit on, I want to know that the guy's got some pass rushing skill set, that he could get after the quarterback and help the guys up front. Okay, that has to be those two check boxes. Okay, they have to have a check mark in it. If they don't, then I'm not even considering the player. And then the third thing that I would need on my list of check marks is I want to know that the guy can handle the helmet. Okay, that he could be my communicator with the defensive coordinator. I mean, he's smart and savvy. He understands the nuances of a defensive scheme. Okay, and sometimes that doesn't show up on film. You've got to speak to his coaches. You've got to speak to individuals around him. And to me, what's tied in with the knowledge is that he can make those plays that are above the X's and O's because of his good read on the scheme. Those three things have to be in play if I'm going to take a linebacker at 11. Yeah, I totally understand. I mean, look, he asked the question about where does this draft fit in terms of its strengths compared to the Giants' needs. I think when you consider the first three rounds, which would equate to the first two days of the draft, I think the Giants are going to get themselves a very productive and exciting wide receiver at some point in the first three rounds. There's enough of guys, all shapes and sizes, okay, more small guys than big guys, but I got to think that by the end of the second day, they will get a receiver who's going to help them. That that I'm pretty confident in. Well, here's the thing. We just watched Senior Bowl practices, and we watched the Senior Bowl game this past week. And that's not even the entire draft class, Paul. Right. Okay? Right? That's a small sample size of the entire class. So if you were to just look at the Senior Bowl class, I would say, wow, there's a lot of depth at wide receiver, and I'm not even talking about guys that weren't invited to the Senior Bowl. So no I'm question. with you there. No There's question. no concern at that position. Right. So yeah. that that's how I feel. I mean, if they don't get, and we even talked about this going into last year's draft, you know, could the Giants get themselves, you know, another playmaking receiver? And I wanted the skyscraper. They didn't really get one. They wound up having to wait to the undrafted free agency to sign up some rookies off the street. Uh, look, I feel pretty confident this year they will get a receiver in the first three rounds. Beyond that, honestly, Best player available is going to be the way it shakes down. And is that player going to be another lineman? Is that player going to be a backer? Is that player going to be a corner? Uh, it, it could wind up being it. Could that, could that best player available at their pick wind up being a tight end? I wouldn't put it past them to take a tight end at some point in the first three rounds. I, I can't put it past them because, after all, whatever you think about Evan Ingram today, he is entering the final year of his contract. 
Let's not forget that. So, you know, if they decide that in, in some point in the first three rounds, there's a tight end there who they really, really like a lot, I wouldn't put it past them to take the guy if they think a value is there. The draft isn't just about 2021. It's about beyond that. Because if we're talking about a player warrants a second contract, you want to know that you're going to get productivity over the four or five years of the contract, depending on what round the player was selected. So I'm with you. They absolutely can't just get caught up in who's going to come in and help us in 2021. You have to think about how does that fit within the other contracts that you have to give out. Now, another entity of the question that the last caller posed before we wrap up here is the fact that when it comes to defensive positions, I thought I heard him ask about where is perhaps the value and the need important for the Giants? Not necessarily for this year's draft class, but just overall from a philosophical standpoint. I would say defensive end slash pass rusher and corner are the two most important positions in terms of what you want to have the most depth and substance at. And I think that still applies to the Giants. If you look at how this team performed in 2020, you still have a need for a pass rusher. And then at corner, I think they're still looking to solidify the guy opposite James Bradbury. So if you can walk away with a corner in this year's draft, yeah, I would not hesitate. And that's a way to also, Paul, help out your pass rush. Because we get caught up and you need a guy to get after the quarterback. That's great. If you got two cover guys, though, that buy maybe a team that doesn't have a premier pass rusher, an opportunity to get after the quarterback, that's a way to also scheme-wise strategize around maybe a weakness of yours. Yeah, I think based on the, the conversations that I've had, and, and this is really the week that I, that I start, you know, getting into this a, a whole lot deeper, Far, you know, Sertan and Farley are your two lock stock, you know, first-round corners in this draft. I don't think there's much debate about that. It depends on which guy you like better. It's like apples and oranges. But Farley and Sertan are your your first-round corners for sure. After that, it starts becoming beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And you're going to have another group of guys, maybe as a small handful, that are all going to be somewhere between potentially sneaking to the bottom of the first round and then they could be anywhere, anywhere in the second round, depending upon how your personnel department feels about them. Uh, and that's kind of the way it, it, it sits for corners right now. So, you know, is a, is a guy you pick at number 43 going to be able to immediately start opposite Bradbury? Well, if you pick him there, he better be a challenger for that spot opening day, don't you think? I would hope that that guy could come in right? and do exactly what you said. Because if yeah, not, then you know, once again, you start questioning whether or not you should have picked that I player. mean, you know, yeah. you want to go back to Georgia where they took DeAndre Baker from? Eric Stokes is, is coming out of Georgia. Uh, you know, and, and he's certainly, you know, a lot of people believe he's a mid to early second round pick. Do you think that, you know, the value meets need at 43 there? Yeah. I'd say that's probably in the ballpark of his value, and it meets need. Now, do you think Stokes can step in right away and compete for that starting job? If you do, then that's not necessarily a bad trigger to pull. Well, I will say this from a generic standpoint before we wrap up here. I do think that a corner drafted this year could very well come in and compete and win the opposite starting job. I don't think that's crazy, but it's just a matter of you have to have confidence and conviction in terms of the player that you ultimately select. All right, that is going to wrap up 
Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. It is presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. We'll be back up and running again on Wednesday with a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live at noon Eastern as we look ahead to the Super Bowl and continue to look ahead to what could be a very busy offseason for not just the Giants, but the entire NFL. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Stay locked to Giants.com. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.